Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there with the race. Uh, we're in the final stretch with only half a week left to go before the big night. Uh, I've been busy the past couple of days uh, working on videos for the Academy of Death Racers Deathy Awards on Saturday. Uh, so I haven't really had time to buckle down and finish watching too much. Um, I did manage to catch, uh, you know, Coming to America sequel on Amazon Prime, uh, which I'll mention in a bit uh, toward the end of the episode. Um, I do hope to watch the documentary sorts tonight as I record this on Thursday, um, leaving me with only drive my car, No Time to Die, and Four Good Days. I think it's unlikely I'll be able to watch the Bond prequels before the ceremony, but with three days left and three features uh, overall, I think I'm in good shape. One movie a night isn't completely unreasonable. Now, checking in with the Death Race leaderboard from OscarsDeathRace.com, hosted by Reddit user Ford vs. Ferrari, we're now up to 109 people who have finished the race, up from last week's 82. So, congratulations are in order to the following people. Uh, Sani Bex Kitty, Pistachio 12, Joao Victor, BN Emler, uh, Blue Caps, uh, Gidanda, Little uh, Soka, Anna, George the Beast, Emmy Montanero, Add underscore Sauce, Casey M. Loving, Banana Beanie, Life of Valander, Farts Domino 44, Liam J., Rate, Karen B. Tells, D. Gappa, aka Dakota of Condorzoom Pod. I see you there. I know you said you wouldn't be able to finish the race, but here you are. Um, anyway, The Mighty Poog, Ryan underscore Dunton, Adam G. Scarrett, DAW22, Darkcast, Alex More Alex, Chiara51, and Agua Jag. Uh, currently, according to OscarsDeathRace.com, I am at 84% completed with the race. You know, with the five documentary features and the uh, three, uh, three, five documentary sorts and three features. So that's about rank 211. Um, and mind you, again, we're already at what, like rank 109 at this point. So you know, about 100 people or so who are closer to finishing the race than I am this year, which is amazing. Uh, considering last year, I actually ended up at rank 104, uh, literally finishing minutes before the ceremony began. So I think that just goes to show how much larger the community is going and how much more interest there are in is in doing the Oscars death race so you know welcome aboard everyone now, another quick reminder, if you have seen all the films already, or even if you haven't, but you just want to participate for fun, uh, I'm doing a contest, you know, it's a, it's for fun, it's just predictions of who we think will win the Oscars. Now, so far, we have a bit more than 30 respondents or so, and it's been really interesting to see how different people as a whole are coming down on different categories, you know, which ones there seem to be uh, a consensus on, and which ones, you know, a little bit more split. Um, also, all the results, you know, next episode, both who won, who, you know, the community as a whole predicted, and you know, which was the kind of like the dominant prediction um, for each category, but you know, you still have time to enter. Um, the contest closes, you know, the formal close Sunday at 12 Eastern time. So, you know, make sure you get your entries in before then. Now, if you have, are having trouble picking your guesses for that contest, or maybe you have an Oscar office pool that you're that you're participating in, uh, this episode is very much for you. Uh, I have on I have on this episode the number one death racer for this year, according to OscarsDeathRace.com. Uh, the guy who's on top of the leaderboard, some guy named James, as in that's his username, some guy named James. Um, now, you know, he'll dispute the claim, saying that you know his friend Hector, um, who's actually number four on the list, uh, you know, didn't have an account on the side, which is why you know James was able. 
to have a higher ranking than him. But nevertheless, you know, James definitely knows what he's talking about. You know, if you've seen him in the Discord, you know that he knows what he's talking about. He's very keno. Um, so, you know, I just had to have him on to give his predictions for what will win Sunday night, as well as what he wishes would win. Um, and of course, you know, talking to another Filipino film fan is always fun. So, uh, it's a fairly long episode, so strap yourselves in. I think it's a great one. Um, I'll catch you on the other side from there. Okay, so I am very excited here to have with me uh, the, the first person, according to OscarsDeathRace.com, and a longtime member of the Academy of Death Races community, uh, James, or some guy named James, um, you know, here on the podcast to go with over um, who we think are going to be uh, winning uh, the Oscars this coming, uh, this coming Sunday. Um, James, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, first of all, I'm very happy to be here. I love uh, listening to your podcast. And it does feel a, li- a little weird being on the other side of the tape. I'm honored. So yeah, I'm some guy named James. I'm calling from the opposite side of the world, from the Philippines, which is where you're originally from. Yeah, so yay, yeah. Filipinos. I know. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I finished the race the second day after the nominations were announced. Uh, on the Oscars Death Race website, it says that I finished first in our community. But actually, my friend Hector did. Uh, we got a screener for the last film that was unavailable, not only from the nominees, but also from the 117 films on the shortlist. Uh, you will see him at number four, I think. But he didn't have an account after finishing until after finishing the race. So I'm just a bridesmaid, never the bride. How did you guys get into, like, not only doing the death race, right? Like, I'm just doing just, like, what, the 50-some-odd films that are actually nominated. But I know you and many others kind of really get into, like, watching all of the films that are shortlisted and even many other categories, like the BAFTA shortlists or, like, you know, the Independent Spirit Awards, you know, shortlisted films. Like, how did you get into death racing films in general? Yeah, it kind of happened by chance. I started watching the Oscars in 2014. I initially only watched it because Ellen was hosting that year and I went along with it. But yeah, I became fascinated with it and when I started exploring the nominated films even more so. And that sort of became my introduction to awards season. And I've been attempting to watch as much as I can since then. All right. So what kind of films? Are you like just generally like a awards, you know, Oscar bait type film, you know, kind of watcher or, you know, what, what's your taste in the film look like? I've always struggled with answering this question, to be honest. And it wasn't until uh, last year, I think, where it kind of clicked for me. So I was exploring Letterboxd and I stumbled upon this list called uh, Films Where Nothing Happens. And as I uh, scrolled through it, I realized that these are the type of films which I usually give high scores to. And it's kind of hard to find a precise definition for this subgenre. I could more or less just give descriptions to it to give it justice. The way, I guess the way I would put it is that in these films, uh, the plot isn't really essential to the narrative. In fact, I think the lesser the plot, the better. And for the most part, it's just people talking, walking around the city, forming connections, trying to live their lives. It's like, uh, it's very atmospheric, very meditative and slow. Very vibes. Mm -hmm, Yeah, very vibes. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have any examples of films that that kind of like fall into this, you know, uh, vibes or, you know, films where nothing happens category that, you know, that you might say would be your favorites? Yeah, I guess the films that I would associate is Nishi, which happens to be some of my favorite films of all time, are uh, Call Me By Your Name, The Before Trilogy, uh, Butravai, uh, Lost in Translation, End of the Century, uh, My Dinner with Andre. But there's this one film which I think perfectly encapsulates this subgenre. I was actually saving it for the last day of last year, and I couldn't stop thinking about it since then after I watched it. And I hope I don't butcher this name. 
It's called uh, Jean Dilma Vantois Quai de Gomez, uh, Mille Quatre Vent Bruxelles. And it's this really uh, bleak character piece. And in a nutshell, it's just a woman doing household chores and running errands for literally three and a half hours straight. We sort of follow her over the course of three days. And in the slowest way possible, things starts to uh, unravel for her. And that's all I say about it. I think I'm doing a bad job of selling this movie, but trust me, this is one of the most brilliant films I've ever seen. Uh, you could write a whole thesis about it. But yeah, those are some of my all-time faves. Awesome. And how are you able to, like, I guess, like, you know, like you said, you 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 had done a lot of the pre-watching of, you know, potential nominees for the death race, you know, you know that to the point where you were finished by the second day of the race. Um, so, you know, how, like, how do you go about doing, like, the death race, you know, so, like, kind of preloading the death race? Like, what, what drives you to try, try to do it so, try to get it all done just, like, ahead of time? Like, how, like, how, what, what, what's the mindset that goes into that? Like, you know, again, compared to me, who right now I'm still struggling to, like, find time this week to, to finish the rest of, uh, finish the rest of the race, you know, between moving and everything else. Yeah, if there was any better year to start the race, it would be this one, or maybe even last year too, because a lot of it were uh, available on streaming services already. So you just try to do it as early as you can, and you try to attend as much screenings as you can, or in some cases, you request for them. And I don't recommend that, by the way. And then you wouldn't have to worry about it much come nominations day, unless it's that like uh, one short film. Uh, the moment when Leslie Jordan announced that one film from the live-action short category, a part of me died, but it's all good now. It's available now. Yeah. So, like, like is this like a sense of completionism that you had that drives you to complete the death race? Like, what drives you to do these death races? I guess. Yeah, I'm very, very much a completist person, and I don't really think I can explain why I love this. It's just something I do, and I mean, I just watch films all the time. I might as well just uh, go through with all these films. And what's great about doing these races that you get to be introduced to films that you wouldn't have otherwise heard of actually a lot of that end up becoming some of my favorite films of the year so it's very much worth it doing uh these races yeah and you know speaking of you know films are there anything from this particular year that kind of stands out as um you know favorite films that you just you wouldn't have found otherwise you know in in the course of doing this year's race uh a lot actually and I think I'm going to discuss some of them as we go through the categories because I have some strong opinions about it. I think not all of the films that got nominated this year for the Oscars are deserving to uh, to be there. So yeah, maybe I'll get around to it later. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this year's race overall in terms of this, like the quality of the films or like, you know, what did get nominated or what didn't get nominated and, and what's how not only like what got nominated, but like how it's shaping up for, you know, who's going to win. Obviously, we'll talk about it a little bit more in, in a second, but just kind of like a high level picture of where we are with the race. Oh yeah, I'll just say that it's really been a solid year so far. Uh, this award season was also a special one for me because it's the first time that I committed to doing multiple death races. Uh, I'm doing the Mecca race, which is the Oscars, the Oscar shortlist, the BAFTA, the BAFTA longlist, Spirit Awards, and the Globes. And I'm also doing the Razzies and the international film submissions this year, which I'm never going to finish, but it, you know, it's nice to dream. I mean, props to you for trying to do the Razzies. I, I don't know how if I could ever stomach myself doing that. Yeah, I watched eight Bruce Willis films for that. Don't recommend it. Yeah, but um, anyways, I was narrowing down my top 10 of the year a few days ago, and I've noticed that only two of them are nominated at the Oscars. And I guess to me, that's really indicative of how strong this award season has been. Uh, one of the great outcomes of this prospect of doing this race is, and when you commit to it is that you get to be introduced to this film as i've said 
uh, a while ago, which you would never have otherwise heard of. And, you know, a lot of these festival films are only going to end up on the radars of film nerds. And that's such a shame because uh, some of the films that get buried on the shortlist, for example, are some of my favorites. But yeah, overall, I thought this was a really strong year. And I'm glad that, and it's not just not just me specifically, but most of the other people in our community as well, uh, their top films of the year reflect this diversity. And if this is what it's like next award season, then I can't wait to do it all over again. Awesome. Well, you know, um, with that in mind, let's go ahead and turn to actually talking about each category. Um, you know, what I'm going to be doing, what we're going to talk about this episode is who we think will win each category. And we'll also mention, you know, who we might want to win if that happens to differ. And then we'll also compare it against what Gold Derby has forecasted um, as of this, we're recording this Sunday, the 20th, um, right after the PGA and WGA awards got, got announced. Um, so, you know, we're going to be going off of what Gold Derby forecast will win. Um, I'm going to be talking about, um, you know, I'm going to be con- considering also bringing up i'm going to mention each of the guild awards as well as the bafta and critics choice nominees as precursors i'm not going to worry too much about the globes or any on the other critics awards just because that'd be too many to try to keep track of um and you know and and, and, and you know hopefully this helps you know you as i as i mentioned in the introduction of this episode i'm running a predictions contest you know no no prizes involved or anything just kind of for bragging rights so you know maybe this will give you some food for thought on on what you want to put down for your prediction contest or maybe you have an office an oscar office pool um, then maybe this will help you out there. Um, and also, you know, be sure to check out again the Deathies uh, coming out uh, later, um, you know, later this week on Saturday. Um, this, you know, this will probably be what what uh, I, I imagine we would probably be submitting for our Deathy uh, ballots for the Academy of Death Racers. Um, are you ready to hop in, James? Uh, let's dive right into it. All right, cool. So we'll start off, you know, it will go in order of the ballot that I have for my prediction contest. Um, so first up is, of course, the big award, Best Picture. Um, according to Gold Derby, the, uh, you know, number one through 10 are Power of the Dog, Coda, Belfast, West Side Story, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Drive My Car, Don't Look Up, and Nightmare Alley. Um, I think in the last week or so, it feels like, you know, the, the race has really coalesced between the top two. So Power of Dog, which won the Critics' Choice award for best film and BAFTA for best film but then we also have CODA um, which has been picking up some guild awards recently right it won uh, the Screen Actors Guild Ensemble Award um, and also again this evening the 20th just won uh, the the Producers Guild Award for um, best film as well so it really I think puts it between those two which I think has a lot of feathers ruffled uh, at least within the the Discord server I think Um, you know I I think it's kind of and and correct me if I'm wrong I feel it's characterized between essentially a film that is very technically adept has kind of like all the hallmarks of you know production and kind of like nuance and depth to it um in power of the dog um compared to something that you know granted is still a good film and an enjoyable film but kind of more so a crowd pleaser feel good type film as opposed to power of the dog in coda um and that's kind of like the the kind of how i would characterize these two films um going against each other what how do you how do you think about that description yeah, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, I'm predicting that uh, the power of the dog will get the most votes after the initial tally, but uh, because of the preferential voting, uh, the number two or three choices of the Academy voters could change the game, provided that power of the dog uh, won't get the requirement of the 50% first place votes, which I don't think it will. Uh, that's where I think CODA has the advantage. And the way I see it, and this is me just spitballing, but uh, I think voters are going to vote for the film that they objectively think is the best one and vote for their personal picks as their runner-up. 
So if you compare the technical aspects and the overall quality of the film, I think uh, Power of the Dog is way more deserving for most people's first place and something more crowd-pleasing and accessible like Coda, which may not have the same quality as your first choice, could end up in most people's second choice. So I think that there's a possibility that Coda might take it if we take into consideration these prospects. But yeah, I think the power of the dog will still win. Uh, but if it should watch out for anything, it would be Coda. Yeah, that would be pretty pretty phenomenal. Just because I think you know, if Coda, we'll talk about it in later categories. But um, you know, Coda, you know, I think it's it's probably fairly. It, it probably has like the uh, supporting actor, you know, an acting nomination in there. Um, maybe like a screenplay, you know, win as well. But you know, a lot of the other precursor awards, you know, director and editing, um, you know, Coda isn't even nominated for those, and so it'd be really outstanding if it ends up winning without you know at least those like even green book you know several years ago which uh, many people did not like that one but it kind of had kind of like that easily accessible you know kind of broadly feel good type uh story which you know not as technically competent as some others that year um still ended up the win at least that still had like the editing nomination as well so that would be pretty i think huge if code ended up uh surpassing those odds what do you think of that about that yeah coda doesn't have a directing nomination or an editing nomination and I think the last film to win uh, Best Picture without winning either of those two awards was back in uh, 19, the early 1930s I think and yeah so if, if it wins it's going to break its big record yeah so I mean okay if you had to put it down right so if you had to say at, if you had to put your name on it like who do you think is going to end up taking home uh, Best Picture at the end of the night uh, come a week from now well, I think that narrows it down to the power of the dog, Coda, and maybe a long gap after that, then it's West Side Story. And I would have put Belfast there too, but as the season progressed, the conversations about it pretty much died down. I mean, other than a few nods for screenplay and Best British Film Award at the BAFTAs, but that's pretty much a consolation prize at this point. So I think this is a two-horse race between Coda and really the power of the dog, but if I would go with my preferred choice, it would definitely be uh, Power of the Dog. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to go ahead and, you know, even though I think people say the Coda wave is coming, uh, I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to say I think Power of the Dog is going to still end up uh, taking it home at the end. Um, though your point that, you know, people will put what they think is the best film at pop followed by their um, preferred after. I think that actually would follow how my ballot would end up going. I would probably put Power of the Dog number one. Um, but then Coda or, you know, my other favorite, I think, of these 10 is probably Nightmare Alley um, would be my number two or number three slot, respectively. Yeah, I think I would do the same. But Drive My Car would be my second choice. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I still have to see Drive My Car. Uh, you know, I definitely am still struggling with this race here. Um, moving on, though. So, you know, coming up, we have Best Director, which I think is a le- le- bit less of a complicated race here. Um, the nominees in order, again, from Gold Derby and Likelihood of Winning, uh, Jane Campion from uh, Power of the Dog, Kenneth Branagh from Belfast, Steven Spielberg from West Side Story, Paul Thomas Anderson from Liquid's Pizza, and Ryusuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. Um, Jane Campion has taken all of the precursors here, DGA, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice for Best Director. So, you know, I have her as my predicted winner for uh, Best Director. Um, and, you know, frankly speaking, I think of the other nominees that I've seen, um, again, I haven't seen Drive My Car yet, um, C probably would be my pick for for Best Director as well. Yeah, I think the Best Director here is locked the same way that uh, Chloe Zhao was locked for a win last season. And if Campion loses, I mean, that will be the biggest upset of the night. And it's nice that for the first time, we will have two female directors winning consecutively. 
but it would also be nice if for the first time we'll have three consecutive directors of Asian descent uh, win for best director if Rizuke yeah. uh, Hamaguchi wins. Who would you say would be the second place, you know, behind Campion if there is if there is a second place here? Yeah, I would go with uh, Hamaguchi actually. Uh, why would you say that? Again, I haven't seen Drive My Car yet, but why would you say he has like a decent shot here at, at second place? Well, if Jane doesn't win uh, this award, the only th- the only other nominee that won't get me at, as outraged as I can be is if it were Hamaguchi. So he would be my second choice. And I think Drive My Car is a film that uh, something that you have never seen before. I think it's one of the best films out there. Of all the uh, films that we have on this list, uh, I think that it's the least predictable of all the nominees here. And yeah, it really takes a lot to get a nomination for Best Picture for a foreign language film. It may not have the same um, momentum as Parasite it did two years ago, but I think it's really worthy. And it, I think it's a big achievement for uh, foreign cinema in terms of uh, what uh, films get nominated for uh, best the Best Picture category. Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, I mean, the fact that it got nominated at all, I think, means there's probably more support for Drive My Car than people might suspect otherwise. Um, so, I mean, we'll obviously talk about it later on in the category. But, you know, again, Best Director is probably going to go to Jane Campion at this point. Um, next up, we have the screenplay categories. Um, so, you know, we have uh, first adapted screenplay, um, which is, first, which again, from Gold Derby, first Power of the Dog, which won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, and then Coda, uh, which won the BAFTA for Adapted Screenplay and the Writers Guild Award for Adapted Screenplay, though um, I don't believe Power of the Dog was eligible for the Writer Guild Awards. Um, the other three in this category are in order... Uh, the Lost Daughter, um, the aforementioned Drive My Car, uh, and Dune. Um, so, you know, I think up until 15 minutes before this episode, I had uh, Power of the Dog um, as my prediction for who would win. Um, but I think with the WGA win for Best Adapted Screenplay, I think uh, I think the momentum's had kind of sifted into Coda to not to maybe if not get Best Picture, I think we'll they'll, they'll take the Adapted Screenplay here. What do you think? Well, I think it has to be between the three women nominated in this category. And sadly, I think as much as it pains me to admit this, but I think Campion would be in third place, even though that's my preferred one of all the nominees here. Uh, I don't think we live in a time anymore in which one film can win picture directing and writing, uh, especially if uh, one person is representing all those uh, three categories, with the exception of Bong Joon-ho, of course, because that's, that's Parasite. And of the three nominations for Power of the Dog, I think writing is the one that it's least likely to win, even though I think it's the best screenplay of the year. So that narrows it down to The Lost Daughter and Coda. And for a long time, I had Hall in my prediction, but it wasn't until uh, Sean Hader won the BAF that it made me switch it to her, and she won the Writer's Guild too a few hours ago. Uh, I think the other primary problem of Coda is if we put aside the subject matter of this film, even just for a while and just focus on the structure alone and how it's written. It's basically the same template as the as hundreds of other coming-of-age films out there. Uh, does it necessarily have to be something new in order to be effective? Of course not. Again, there's a reason why I cried when I watched Coda for the first time. I just think that uh, the Academy should be rewarding a screenplay that is more daring or something that you haven't seen anywhere else, and not because the film is more crowd-pleasing. So that's why I think The Lost Daughter is more deserving. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, I might have to go with Coda for this one. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a Coda win, I think, coming here. Well, not definitely, but I would say probably 70%, 75% chance it's probably going to win at this point. Um, and I think like you, my favorite, I think, uh, of these, again, ha- that I've seen, not having seen Drive My Car, um, I definitely have Power of the Dog as my favorite. There's something about like just the layers and the the interlocking nature of the screen. It's just so tight, I think, um, that I really enjoyed uh, Power of the Dog's approach to, to screenplay here. So, um Prediction, I think, for both of us, Coda preferred Power of the Dog. You know, moving on to the other category, uh, screenplay category, I think this is like a little bit more of an interesting race here. Um, so we have Best Original Screenplay. Um, currently, the first place, according to Gold Derby, is Licorice Pizza. That won the BAFTA. Um, and then in second place, we have uh, Belfast, which won the Critics' Choice. And in third place, we have Don't Look Up, which just won the Writers Guild Award for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, fourth place goes to King Richard. And then fifth place goes to The Worst Person in the World. So... I think we'll kind of split, I think, looking at our notes um, on who we think is going to win. Um, I I just saw Liquor's Pizza yesterday on a train, actually. I was I was traveling out of the city for, for a day trip. So I watched it on the way there and on the way back on my phone. And, you know, the more I think, the more I've sat on it and the more I've read about Liquor's Pizza, the more I'm slowly coming around to, I think, it being a bit of a better screenplay, I think, than I initially gave it credit for. Um, that being said, I think a lot more people like Belfast, and I think given the way the race has run, is being run at this point, uh, Belfast, I don't think is going to has a real shot at winning anything else. And I think people really want to reward Belfast with something in the Academy, um, and so I think this is going to be the place where people try to give Belfast its award. So that's why I have Belfast as my prediction to win here. But I see you have Liquid Pizza as your prediction uh, for for this category. Yeah, I think this is a battle between the two old white auteur directors here sadly that is Belfast and Licorice Pizza and can I just say Don't Look Up is not going to win Best Screenplay I'm sorry it's not oh yeah yeah I also think I, I believe that um, at the Writers Guild Award Belfast was not eligible for yeah, a screenplay since I think Kenneth Branagh is not a guild member so he wasn't eligible though Licorice Pizza was eligible which I think might have hurt its chances actually this time around but go on huh? Yeah, I had Kenneth Brown as my prediction since December, but uh, similar to the other screenplay category, my pick uh, changed after the BAFTAs. And the reason why is because mostly non-British films in this category end up losing to your British films. So something like The Favorite, Best in Green Book, or Philomena, Best in 12 Years a Slave. And that proves to be true not just in the screenplay category at the BAFTAs, but to the rest of the categories as well, because... You know, it's the British backyard. So if Belfast, which was awarded the best British film, couldn't win the screenplay category at the BAFTAs, then it has a lesser chance of winning the Oscars too, I think. That's why I'm picking Licorice Pizza instead, which won at the BAFTA for screenplay. Uh, But the one I think that's most worthy one here, and I think you agree with me, thankfully, is uh, Worst Person in the World. I mean, I think it it fits into like what you were talking about, like your taste of film of just like people just talking and just like kind of like just going through life without any real plot. Right. That's I think that that's a kind of like a way to describe the film to a certain degree. But I think screenplay wise, I really enjoy that, you know. Um, I saw this with a friend of mine who hadn't been in movie, been in the movie theater for like two years because of the pandemic. But you know, he what what he mentioned, which I also picked up, was like he liked the way that 
it was like neatly divided into like 12 chapters um you know 10 chapters i think in the prologue and, the, and an epilogue and just like kind of like the way that the screenplay is essentially like a slice of life like i like like a lot of anime and slice of life anime just happens to be one of my favorite things um and i think the way it did slice of life it's not necessarily a strict continuous narrative it's kind of like snippets and excerpts from this person's life that to give us a better picture of who this person is and what it says about humanity i think is what i liked about it but what are your thoughts on the worst person yeah the character that i most connected to with with and resonated to this year is julie uh the lead character of this movie and i'm not even in this person's age gender or lifestyle i don't even speak her language but my god i felt seen when i watched this film uh the fact that it managed to do that says a lot about how brilliant the screenplay is and not just for me apparently but for the academy as well and this was one of the biggest surprises on nominations day and i'm glad that it happened uh, I would never have predicted it, to be honest. So, yeah, Worst Person is the best screenplay of these five nominees. Yeah, I, I think Neon might have dropped the ball on, like, you know, on, on promoting this one. Um, I think you they could have even gotten, you know, uh, her, like, the lead actress of Julie. Um, I, I'm forgetting her name at the moment. Like, they could have gotten her Best Actress nomination if they had pushed for her a little bit harder, I think. Yeah, and I'm glad that she was recognized at the BAFTA. She may not have uh, won that category, but I'm glad that she's there. Yeah, speaking of her, uh, we're going to move to the acting categories now. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, these seem to be more or less locked, I think, uh, which is a bit of a different scenario than, than in most years, where it seems to be chaos most of the time. Um, but uh, we'll go through them anyway. So first up, Best Actor, um, you know, Everyone says it's going to be Will Smith. Um, you know, he won the SAG Awards. He won BAFTA. He won the Critics' Choice. Um, kind of in order after them is uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, Denzel Washington, and Javier Bardem uh, for Power of the Dog, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, Tragedy Macbeth, and Being the Ricardos, respectively. So, you know, again... I think but Will Smith is going to win. I'm pretty sure you think Will Smith is going to win. I don't think either of us is necessarily happy that Will Smith is going to win, but I want to put words in your mouth. What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty much a done deal for this category. It's going to be Will Smith. Uh, he's won pretty much every major award at this point. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about this. It's just, for me, I think the Oscars should be awarded to an, to an actor's best performance. And I don't think it's King Richard for him same way i don't think it's tammy faye for jessica chastain spoiler alert for my uh choice for best actress or prediction for best actress but if it were up to me it would be between denzel andrew and benedict i think this is one of denzel's best performance yet maybe not a uh, training day level denzel but it's definitely up there and this is andrew's second best performance yet what do you have what do you have behind i was gonna say that nothing will ever top his angels in america performance for me he won a tony award for that by the way, if you can go to the National Theatre Live's website, I think Angels of America is available to rent there if you're curious to see a god tier agar. But full disclosure, this play is almost eight hours long. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to need like a whole day for that in order to, to fully appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, my preferred win here, you know, if you know Will Smith is bored to talk about, let's talk about who we want to win. I really want Andrew Garfield to win. I mean, it may just be a slight man crush I have on him, I think. Um, but I mean, like, I, I don't know. The first film I watched, I think I mentioned this before in the podcast, where I really started getting into film seriously after college was... Um, 
Silence was the first film I watched where I started keeping track of the films I was watching in a little notebook I would carry around with me before Letterboxd. Um, and I think Andrew Garfield really blew me away there. Um, and, you know, kind of, you know, everything he's been in since then that I've seen, you know, um, you know, Tammy Faye this year, um, you know, Spider-Man films, of course, you know, I, 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 and then now Tick, Tick, Boom, I, he just like has this energy. And then even this, I, I just found myself watching his appearances on the Colbert show um, just because the way, like the kind of like this, it's just him as a person. I just want good things to come to Andrew Garfield, okay? Uh, but you, 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 it says here on the notes you have Benedict Cumberbatch as your preferred win for, for this category. Yeah, other than Enzel or uh, Andrew, that leaves me to Benedict Cumberbatch. I think this was his best one yet, which is a lot to say for me because I really adored him in the imitation game. I think he should have won for that. I would have awarded him for both performance, I would say. But yeah, it really frustrates me that Will Smith is my prediction but benedict is definitely my preferred okay um so you know coming up then we have best actress which i think uh you know again the, like you mentioned the 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 it seems like the the predominant choice here is jessica chastain uh who won the screen actors guild and the critics choice award for best actress for her role in eyes of tammy faye uh gold derby has olivia coleman second nicole kidman third Kristen stewart fourth and then penelope cruz fifth uh for the lost daughter uh being the ricardos spencer and parallel mothers respectively um so I'm going to go against the grain here. I think, especially for like a contest, like for the contest I'm throwing, you have to throw some wild cards in here. Like everyone's going to go with one thing. You have to kind of like veer, zig when everyone else is zagging. I'm going to put my fl- plant my flag on. I think Kristen Stewart is going to win uh, Best Actress uh, next week. Um, I don't really have any strong justification why beyond the fact that I think the fact that she got nominated despite, you know, all of the precursors going against her, um, I think it's come to the point where the Academy recognizes that she's actually been a great actress up to this point uh, in, in everything after Twilight. And so I think they're coming around to that for her. Um, and I don't know. I, I just want, I, I maybe it's just me just manifesting it and willing it into existence, but I'm going to say, I think she's going to win. Uh, this is something in the air that tells me she's, she's going to get it. Um, maybe I have too much optimism. What do you think? Yeah, these five women are all great. And at any time of the day, I could easily switch out who is my second place. They're just that good equally. But I'm still struggling to choose one for my uh, preferred winner. And I guess only because I want my Oscars to be evenly spread out, I would give it to Kristen Stewart as well. Uh, Three of the nominees here are already Oscar winners. And Jessica Chastain will get nominated for 10 more before she retires. But for Kristen, I hope she gets more roles like this. I prefer my indie steward as opposed to mainstream steward and she easily jumped from one side to another and there's nothing wrong with that of course but i like her works more in low budget films and i think that uh this is the best role that was offered to her so far i would be happy to if she pulls a surprise at uh, oscar night yeah i just think well just thinking about all of these roles i mean after seeing uh, like tammy faye i would not i like i said i i acknowledge that all the titles in jessica chastain's favor I am fully okay with her winning because I think the performance she turned in was phenomenal this year. Like kind of the life of Tammy Faye that that, that Chastain portrayed. I just think that this, there's something about Spencer and 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 Stewart's just like very soft performance, um, but also haunted performance and the physical performance of of Princess Diana. I think just really sold it for me for someone who wasn't really into the royals at all before um so yeah i and then i i think if i had to put a pick another i i, I would also say cruise i think is my other one kind of up there um like her role in parallel mothers was just phenomenal for me. But, but again manifesting kristen stewart here definitely 
Uh, so who, I didn't catch it. Who do you think is going to win? You think it's going to be Jessica Chastain? Yeah, definitely. I think it would be Jessica Chastain too. I just, I think the quality of the movie could hurt its chances the same way of Billy, the Billy Holiday movie last year was bad and was only saved by a great performance. And I thought the over-the-top-ish performance could hurt Chastain. But now uh, after she won the Critics' Choice and that the SAG, I think she's definitely in the lead. This is a woman who knows how to campaign, who knows how to play the game, and she's been an awards darling for so long now, and she hasn't won yet. I think of all the roles that she had that were in awards consideration, this, I think, would be her best chance yet. Yeah. Uh, side note, I think uh, you mentioned you like indie Stewart more than mainstream Stewart. We need an indie Stewart and an indie Robert Pattinson film uh, to happen with both of them leading again. Oh, God, please. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on to supporting roles. Um, this one is a bit of a switch up. I think this is also part of why Coda has kind of come back in the contention here. Um, so for Best Supporting Actor, we have Tori Kotsur, uh, who won the Screen Actors Guild uh, for Supporting Actor, the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice. Um, he comes in over, and this is for Coda, of course. Uh, he comes in over Cody Smith-McPhee, who was the presumed frontrunner for most of the race for Power of the Dog. Um, and then, again, Kieran Hines for Belfast, Blessy Clemens for Power of the Dog, and J.K. Simmons for... Uh, for being the Ricardos. Um, so I think Tori Kotsur is going to win. Um, I think I, uh, up until, you know, um, it, you know, Coda started winning the other, like, categories, you know, the Best Picture category uh, precursors and the Writing, Writing Guild Award precursor, um, I, I, for thought, I for a while thought that this was going to be the Minari Award, right, where I loved Minari last year. I thought it sort of won more things, but um, it ended up going home with one supporting acting award uh, for Yu Jung Yu. I thought this would have been the same for Coda. You know, it, it doesn't win anything major, but it ends up taking home, uh, you know, one supporting award for its recognition in Tori Kotsur. Um, but again, I think it kind of tur- tur- turned the tide in the favor. Not to take away again from Tori Kotsur, his f- f- performance, I think, was really critical for the role. Um, he added a lot of like energy to that. To, to the, to the film, I think. So I think this is, he, he's the definition, I think, of a good supporting actor here. Yeah, I agree. This is a two horse race between uh, Kotzer and Smith McPhee. And I'm honestly not mad if it goes either way. These two are just amazing at their roles. But I think uh, Troy Kotzer has the more momentum of the two. He won more precursors than Cody. And even though I found a lot of flaws in Coda, I'd say the acting there was the best part of the movie. Uh, there was a scene in Coda. And it was after the school concert where he was alone with his daughter. And I don't want to go into it too much because I don't want to spoil it. But if you watch the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that scene just absolutely made me weep. Uh, It's easily the best scene in the movie. I'm glad that uh, Troy Culture is getting recognized for this film. And I really do think that it's going to be him. Uh, you know, as the award season go on, it more or less just confirms or locks in who is winning in for the acting award, and not unlike last season where most of it could be anyone's game. But for this year, it's no longer as surprising as we thought it would be. Yeah, I think that none of that is more true than with the last acting category, supporting actress. Um just give the crown already to Ariana DeBose. He's the front one on Gold Derbies. He won the SAG Award, the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice for West Side Story, over Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, Anjani Ellis for King Richard, Jesse Buckley for um, uh, Lost Daughter, and Julie Dent uh, for Belfast. I mean, Ariana DeBose, 
I have her as my prediction to win. I have her as my preferred win, though. Shout out to Buckley. I think she actually was a better actress than than Olivia Coleman was in The Lost Daughter. Um, but yeah, I think it's Ariana DeBose's to lose here, basically. Yeah, I'm so glad that uh, Ariana is a lock now. She's both my preferred and uh, the one I'm predicting to win. I've been a fan of hers before she was Hollywood famous. I loved her as uh, Donna Summer in the Donna Summer musical. And I used to watch her uh, vlogs that she did for Broadway.com. Uh, actually, Mike Feist, too. He was in the original Broadway cast of two of my favorite musicals. Yeah, but going back, I think this is the type of performance that uh, will make you say a star is born. You can't take your eyes off of her every time she sings and acts. And the energy that she brings here is just unmatched compared to the other nominees. So I can understand why she's uh, sweeping everything at this point. Yeah. Uh, from here, we're going to move to the technical categories, a.k.a. this here is Dune territory. Um, so uh, starting off, we have the Best Cinematography Award. Um, the, the I believe the American Society of Cinematographers has not yet presented their awards. So we're not going to mention them here. But uh, Dune is currently in first place on Gold Derby. It won the BAFTA for Best Cinematography. Um, notably, in second place, Power of the Dog came in uh, and won Critics' Choice um, for Best Cinematography. Um, but then third, fourth, and fifth are Tragedy Macbeth, West Side Story, and Nightmare Alley. I'm a big Dune fanboy. I'm a big science fiction fanboy in general. So, you know, it should be no surprise to anyone who's listened to the Emmy episode of this podcast that um, Dune is my pick my pick to win and also my prediction for who is going to end up winning. What about you, James? Yeah, I really had a hard time choosing this one. I think each of them has a great shot of uh, winning this award and all deservedly so. If I have a preferred one, I'll pick The Tragedy of Macbeth. I just think that this is one of the best-looking films I've seen recently. Uh, the way it manages to do a lot with just uh, very little is so brilliant. Uh, the shots never feel reductive. There are stills in this movie which deserves to be seen at a museum. And each scene reinvents itself, which is hard to do with a very minimalistic set. And yeah, but I think Dune will end up as the winner here, to be honest. I think it's on track to do so since this award season began. And it pains me to admit that because... Artie Wegner, who did the cinematography for Power of the Dog, is right behind him in this category. Uh, she also did the cinematography for Zola, which she was nominated uh, for at the Spirit Awards. I think it's about time that uh, a woman finally wins this category. I think she had a better shot than uh, Rachel Morrison, who won, oh, sorry, not won. She was the first uh, female cinematographer to be nominated in this category for Mudbound in 2017. But yeah, my prediction could easily change tomorrow, but I'm going to go with it Dune for now. Uh, you were going to say something, sorry. Oh yeah, I was going to say, I gonna say that, you know, I think, I just want to give a shout out to Tragedy of Macbeth. I only saw this film in black and white. I, have actually, I haven't actually seen it in color yet. So I don't know if that changes anything, but I think the black and white cinematography of Nightmare Alley was also a, just a sight to behold as well. So, um, you know, shout out to, to that team there. But again, I think pick, pick and prediction for me is Dune here. Um, moving on to best editing. Now, this one, again, as we alluded to, is kind of sneakily important because um, historically, uh, the nominee, the, you have to be nominated for best editing uh, in order to uh, get a best picture uh, win. If, like for the last, like you said, mentioned met several decades at this point. Um, so, you know, the, the nominees here that are, that are in contention are Dune, Power of the Dog, King Richard, Don't Look Up, and Tick, Tick, Boom, in that order on Gold Derby. Um, you know, the 
two winners of the uh, the American uh, the the Ace Awards, the Eddie Awards. Um, interestingly, it went to King Richard uh, for the dramatic category, and then Tick Tick Boom for the comedy category, which seems really odd to me. I don't, I'm not really sure what was going on there. Um, that being said, I'm not deterred. I'm still putting Dune as my prediction and my preferred um, here. Um, I think part of that is, as we'll mention later. Um, you know, the sound category is uh, historically very closely tied to the editing category. And I believe uh, Dune and Powered with Dog are the only two to be nominated in both categories, um, which is why I, ha- I have it going to Dune in both of those categories. Spoiler. Um, what do you think, James? Yeah, I would agree with your hypothesis about uh, the sound being relative to editing, because I think an editor is not only supposed to take into account uh, the visual relationship between the progression of shots, but also... Uh, the sonic relationship within those progressions it's about how these elements work together seamlessly to make an to make an effective scene so i'm not surprised if uh historical oscar statistics support this argument yeah for what, what do you have for your prediction though and and your preferred for for this category uh well i think editing is probably the hardest aspect of a film to judge because a lot of it can easily be influenced by uh, good or bad direction or even bad writing uh, but there is this one quote from Kevin Tent, which I uh, read last season, and he said that it's hard to articulate what editors do, but when it's bad, you'll know it, and when it's good, you'll never know. So the way I saw it is that you're not supposed to be bothered by the pacing or the cohesion of the film if you're getting distracted by certain cuts and a transition, or, or if you're uh, constantly checking how much time you've got remaining or questioning why things are structured that way, then that's usually a bad sign of editing. And plus, all of the nominees this year are films from streaming services. Most uh, most people will probably watch these films in their computers as opposed to the theaters. So film editing is even more critical to keep the viewers' interest in just one sitting. And from these five nominees, uh, the film, I would say, which greatly embodies that theory as far as my personal viewing is concerned is Tick, Tick, Boom. And I had a lot of problems with this film, and I'm a massive musical fan, so this should have been tailor-made for me. But I can't argue with the fact that this movie is edited very well. Uh, but I will say that because Tick Tick Boom wasn't nominated for Best Picture like the rest of the nominees are, I think it does hurt its chances of winning this award. So I'm going to put that as my personal pick instead. And I'm going to go with Dune as my prediction. Any particular reason why Dune as opposed to one of the other ones? Is it, you know, as you mentioned, were there any issues with the others in terms of like pacing or why things were started? Like, you know, it's bad when you see it bad. Well, it's mostly because of my process of elimination. This, uh, the best editing category doesn't like to reward slow dramas. So I don't think the power of the dog will win the same way that Nomadland didn't win last year. And one of the complaints that I keep hearing about Don't Look Up was the editing. And I don't have anything to back my elimination of King Richard here, other than then uh, I guess I just don't want it to win. So yeah, that leaves me doing. I mean, I also think that King Richard was very long for a film. It didn't need to be two and a half hours long. So yeah, I would agree with that. You know who's not going to win best editing uh, in my books this year? Who? Uh, the Academy for editing out all of the uh, technical categories uh, in the pre-show. But um, yeah, screw them. 
Okay. Uh, moving on, uh, production design. Um, so this one, uh, again, I have as Dune winning and prefer, and, and is also, again, my preferred though. Shout out to Nightmare Alley. Um, Dune is currently in first place. It won the um, uh, the Art Directors Guild Award for Fantasy Film, uh, the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice, and the Set Decorator Society Award. Nightmare Alley is currently in second place. It won the uh, uh, the Art Directors Guild for, pe- for Period Film. Um, and then West Side Story, Tragedy Macbeth, and The Power of the dog round out the other five um so you know like i mentioned dune i think is going to continue its juggernaut though i've mentioned this um on uh, the codas podcast the uh, contra zoom pod um i think if there was a shot for dune to not win a technical category i think this one might be it um that's not already a fun and it's a fun one i think i might potentially get upset by nightmare alley um if only to maybe spread the love to nightmare alley for um some other from for from the rest of the academy who seems to really like it um from the guild perspective uh, what about you james what do you think for, for best production design uh, for my preferred choice i would have to pick the tragedy of beth frankly because i want my house to look like this i'm a minimalist person and i was heavy breathing all throughout the film but really i think this is one of the most brilliant uses of uh, production design that i've seen recently I loved how it mimicked a strange production of a play, but with, you know, steroids on scale. They didn't even use movie lights, but rather stage lights to shoot the movie. I loved how they, uh, how they played with shadows on the design, which added to the drama. Some of the shadows you see there were actually manually painted. Uh, there are a lot of these cumulative artistic choices that make this one of the most visually striking films in recent years. But uh, more than that, I was fascinated by how the production design was kind of interwoven to the narrative, which I only learned after watching the film's uh, behind-the-scenes featurette. Uh, Similar to how the production design for last year's The Father sort of gave you an insight into the character of Anthony Hopkins' mental state, there was this scene in which Denzel's character starts descending into madness. And then the archways that you see in the uh, corridor as he was walking through it were suddenly out of proportions and asymmetrical. And if you've watched this film, you know that uh, everything was designed symmetrically to perfection. The design kind of gave you a perspective of the character's sanity. And it's the small details that made me really appreciate the production design here. That's fine. That's your pref- So that's your preferred pick. Who do you think is going to win, though? Uh, I'm gonna jump ahead and say I think it's gonna be Nightmare Alley. So why? Um, I know I know I mentioned that that's kind of like my sleeper pick, right? That it could potentially upset Dune. Um, though I still think Dune is going to end up winning. Um, why do you think Nightmare Alley would end up taking it over Dune, which seems to have won more precursors? Yeah, I think uh, Nightmare Alley and Dune won for the Production Design Guild, and I think that because this is a period piece. They tend to do. They tend to overperform in this category as opposed to uh, the sci-fi films. Again, that's not a perfect track record, but I think I find uh, Nightmare Alley to be more visually striking than Dune. If it's if Dune will win uh, production design or even more technical categories, I think it will be for the second film and not this one. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Kind of like the Lord of the Rings effect. Yeah. Okay. Um, now there is uh, another one. I think that that um, you know there's another one uh, category that's kind of production related, which is uh, best costume. Um, and this one is kind of similar to Alexander the Bow, so I think this one's pretty locked in. Um, in first place, we have Cruella, which won the Costume Designers Guild Award for Period Film, the BAFTA, and Critics Choice. Um, Dune comes in second. It also won the uh, Costume Directors Guild, uh, Guild Award for Fantasy Film, and then West Side Story, Nightmare Alley, and Serrano round out the other five. I have Cruella. 
Cruella. I ha- I've had Cruella as my pick to win since I saw it in theaters all the way last May, um, and nothing has really topped it as in terms of my my preferred win here. Um, and I think on the notes it, it says you you have, you have, you feel the same way about Cruella. Oh, definitely. The, the thing that's keeping Cruella ahead of the game is that I think that each design is a statement piece. You're going to remember long after watching this film which costume designs appeared in which scene or who wore what for which scene, whereas compared to the other four, they kind of just blend in with each other, uh, even though all of them are, I would say, beautifully made. The way the costumes were used in an outlandish but beautiful way here is enough for it to stand, stand out for uh, non-costume people. And enough for it to secure a win. Yeah, I mean, I went to New York Comic Con last fall, and I definitely remember seeing some some Cruella costumes on the cosplay floor. Um, I did not see any for Dune or West Side Story or Nightmare Alley, uh, and definitely not Serrano since that hadn't come out yet. But um, yeah, I definitely again, I think it, yeah, like you said, the statement piece is nature of Cruella. It's that that's what the whole film is about. It's about fashion in London. Of course, it's going to be the costumes are going to be strong there. So. Yeah, this film was made to win an Oscar for costume design, nothing else. Moving on then, we have Best Hair and Makeup. Um, and this one, I think, I haven't, I've seen four of the five films here, um, but, you know, I, I have my suspicions. Um, but I don't know if I, I have enough to make a preferred pick yet. So um, Eyes of Tammy Faye is currently the favorite on Gold Derby. It won the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice. Um, and then comes Dune uh, in second place. Cruella, which won the... Uh, Makeup, one of the makeup hair and uh, makeup artists and hairstylists uh, guild awards for a period film, but then coming to America in fourth place actually won three makeup artists uh, and hairstylist awards uh, from the guild. Um, I believe for a contemporary film as well as uh, sp- uh, special effects films. Um, and then House of Gucci came in as uh, at, in fifth place here. Um, so you know, I up until like right before this episode recording, recording, I. I actually had it as TBD until I saw Coming to America. Um, I actually w- just watched the first film, um, you know, uh, earlier this weekend, um, you know, because I wanted to watch that before watching the se- the sequel. And you know, the, going off of that work from the original, you know, I can see how it would be very technically impressive. That being said, I think the makeup and hair styling for Tammy Faye, like we mentioned talking about Jessica Chastain, um, I think that is just uh, a lot more crucial to what's going on in the story in terms of characterizing Jessica and her, and and Tammy Faye and her evolution over time, kind of like the slow addition of more makeup and crazier hairstyles and so on um, from you know her having barely any makeup as very young up until the very end of the film where, where she has like her signature look, um, that kind of evolution, I think is just so much into the, the, the evolution of the character over the film. And that's so much tied to their hair and makeup, I think, which is why I think it, I'm going to predict Tammy Faye also because I don't think that the Academy wants to, uh, have an Eddie Murphy film be an Academy award winner. Um, after after all the jokes it made at the expense for the Suicide Squad, um, but I don't have a preference here until I see uh, coming to America. But my my suspicions based on what I know is that it's probably used more for comedy bits as opposed to actual characterization. But uh, what are your thoughts, James? You mentioned that you first you watched the uh, first coming to America. Is that right? Yeah, just recently, yeah. Yeah. So the makeup designs for uh, coming to America, the second one, are largely influenced by the works of Rich Baker. Baker has the most wins and nominations with 11 in this category at the Oscars. And he did the first uh, makeup designs for the first Coming to America, which got him an Oscar nom. 
and actually does a lot of these Eddie Murphy movies in which he plays multiple characters, most of which were Oscar nominated. Anyways, I think uh, the makeup designers for coming to America, the second one, uh, have pretty big shoes to fill. And just from that barbershop scene alone, I think they succeeded. And also, uh, historically, those films that uh, performed well at the Hair and Makeup Guild tend to win the Oscar for Best Hair and Makeup. If you look at this year's ceremony, already said this, but Coming to America won all three awards it was eligible for. Cruella won one for period or character makeup, but that category that it won for doesn't include the application of prosthetics, and it's usually a prosthetics competition in this category for the Oscars. Uh, Cruella is the only one out of the five which doesn't use special makeup effects. I believe the last film to uh, win the hair and makeup uh, Oscar without these special makeup effects was Dallas Buyers Club. But I think having uh, three wins across different categories is enough for coming to America to secure a win. Yeah, that would definitely be a spicy. T- that would be a definitely a spicy scenario if that were to happen. Um, what about your preferred win? If you you're predicting coming to America win, how about your preferred win here? Well, if we're going by my personal choice, it would be uh, House of Gucci. I just want a film featuring Paolo Gucci to be recognized at the Oscars, and this is the only one it's nominated for. Hey, Paolo Gucci. Okay. Mamma mia. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so moving on from the visual production stuff to the auditory production stuff. Hey, we're on a podcast. Um, so first up, we have best score. Um, uh, current first place uh, goes is, according to Gold Derby, Dune, which won the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice for Best Score. Um, in second place, we have uh, Power of the Dog. Uh, third place, Encanto, which won uh, the uh, SCL Guild Award for Score. Um, fourth place, we have Don't Look Up. And in fifth place, we have a Parallel Mothers. So, I mean, I would probably predict Dune wins here. Um, and honestly, I think any film in this category would be uh, a well, maybe not. Don't look up for me. Um, but uh, no. I think the other four. Well, well, you can you can be, you can see your pieces about don't look up. Yeah. I, I, I it, that's the film that of these five I remember the least score wise. Basically, um, the other four I definitely all remember something about the score. Um, so overall, I like this category. I would have wished uh, that Johnny Green would have gotten in for Spencer. Um, I think would have been a great one. Um, yeah, I think Dune's going to win. I think Hans Zimmer is long overdue for actually winning another score Oscar aside from Lion King, basically, like 20 plus years ago. Um, anyway, what are your thoughts, James, on, on Don't Look Up and, and, and who you think is going to win? Well, actually, before that, I just want to say that my preference would have been Johnny Greenwood's as well for Spencer. But uh, since it's not dominated here, I'm going to go with my other favorite score, and that would be Don't Look Up. Uh, I think it didn't really stand out to me when I watched uh, the film back in December as well, but I've since uh, re-listened to, to all the albums at least three times, and that became my favorite. Uh, Nicholas does the, does the best main title themes out there, and this one is no different. I could listen to his succession theme theme to uh, the succession theme from you know the television show Succession all day, and uh, but yeah, I don't think this one will win though. The score is probably the easiest categories to predict in recent years, uh, mostly because the winner of the Oscar lines up with the winner of most, if not all, the precursors. And in this case, that would be Hans Zimmer with Dune. I think Zimmer is pretty much unbeatable at this point. That would be a safe bet, I think. Uh, if it wasn't uh, uh, Hans Zimmer, who do you think would come in second? Would it be Johnny Greenwood for Power of the Dog? Or do you think um, uh, uh, Encanto comes away with the first, uh, I think, female winner for uh, best score? 
I would love for Jermaine to win, but I think the second place definitely goes to the power of the dog. I think that's a brilliant use of the score. It's very haunting. It definitely fits the narrative of what the movie is trying to say. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Moving on then to sound. Um, as we mentioned earlier, sound is very closely tied to editing, um, which is why you know I have Dune as my as my pick here. And you know, again, I think my preferred for this scenario. Um, Dune is currently in first place. It won the MPSE Guild Award for Effects, um, the BAFTA Award, and the uh, Cinema Audio Society Award. Um, actually, I think earlier this weekend um in second place we have west side story which won the mpsc guild award for music um and then no time to die power of the dog and belfast um i haven't seen power uh, no time to die yet um but like i mentioned i think due to the relationship between editing and sound i think dune probably takes this one home uh, what about what do you think james musicals back then had a great track record for winning sound films like a fiddler on the roof Hello Dolly, My Fair Lady, and almost all of uh, Rogers and Hammerstein's musicals in the 50s, and even the first West Side Story. So if you had a film adapted from a high-profile stage musical back then, you will likely be nominated, if not win in this category. But now this is a category that's dominated by genre films, war films, or music-centric films. And all that said, I'm going to count out Belfast and Power of the Dog. I think the competition here is between the three genre films, and if I were to pick my favorite, I would say our West Side Story. Other than the fact that it's a musical, I think sound should also be integral to establishing the setting of the film rather than just letting the production design do all the work. And I think our West Side Story does a great job of capturing or immersing the audience with uh, in New York, and you probably have more thoughts about this than I do, of course. But I think it did a great job in that regard. The way they also used sound to capture Washington Heights and in the Heights, I thought it was amazing. And I mean, I don't know what a Rocky sounds like in real life, but in terms of sound, uh, West Side Story was more impactful for me. And it could be because I didn't like Dune that much, but uh, I do think that Dune is going to end up winning. Uh, this film is a marvel for sound mixers and editors, and they sort of took this organic approach in creating the sound for this film. A few of the 3200 sounds created for this film are actually uh, synthetic, so so as to make the sound more natural, which is really admirable for a film uh, with this scale. For example, uh, the sound that the giant worm makes while eating a machine was actually recorded by putting a microphone inside the sound editor's mouth while he was inhaling vigorously. And it oh, blows wow. my mind. Yeah, it blows my mind how creative and resourceful these sound people are. And I love the boldness of committing to create the sounds the way they did. So I think for all those reasons, Dune will win for sound. Yeah, I think I think Dune on a technical level, I think like you mentioned, all of those crazy things, like like thinking to like, you know, classic genre films like Star Wars or Jurassic Park or whatever, I think Dunes might all might end one day end up being there in kind of like those, hey, did you know that this sound was made by XYZ, basically? Um, I think Dune like the Foley, the the ADR, right? Like even the mixing, right? Like of the like, you know, like there, there are many ways for a science fiction film to become incomprehensible sound-wise. So I think like balancing of the levels and making so that audio is heard, but also not like unreasonably so to the detriment of the background. Like I, like yeah, we don't know what a rocket sounds like, but I think 
the fact that they're able to create a, so- a sonic landscape of a rocket that feels believable and we don't really question, is this actually what it sounds like? I think is what I think sets Dune apart for me, I personally. And it's definitely on track to win this award. If it's going to win at least one award, it's going to be best sound. Oh, at least one award. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just one. Um, moving on, though, the last sound-based uh, award is Best Original Song, which is everyone's favorite category for many reasons, um, especially when you're doing the Death Race. Um, so, you know, currently in first place, we have the two-year-old song uh, No Time to Die uh, by Billy Eilish for No Time to Die. Um, it won the SCL Guild Award for uh, Best Song, as well as the Critics' Choice for Best Song. Um, now, you know, again, I haven't seen No Time to Die, um, so I can't really say about my preference with that. I can kind of go off of these precursors, which leads me to believe that it's probably the favorite to win. Um, that being said, I've heard a lot of rumbling just because of the way that uh, Disney and ABC are messing around with the Oscar broadcast like bringing in uh we don't talk about bruno to be performed uh during the broadcast uh what's you know many thoughts on those which we don't have time for here um but i think that they're pushing hard and i think there's a chance that uh dos orgueritas might sneak a win here but i i i'd like to think no time to die i think uh comes around to it um the rest of the film nominees are are uh, be alive for king richard um down to joy for belfast uh and then whatever's diane warren song is from four good days which i don't even remember right now um and i'm saving that for the last film for my death phase like the day of the ceremony so um but in any case um yeah i mean just going purely off of precursors it looks like it's going to be no time to die um you probably know a little bit better than me james but you know what are your thoughts on on these original songs yeah no time to die has been uh, sweeping awards for the last two years now i'm surprised that it managed to sustain this momentum for this long it's funny i remember when she first performed the song on uh, tv and it was at the brit awards with hans zimmer which i really liked uh but that was before the global lock- lockdown and it's now only going to win the Oscar after two years. Oh, there's also uh, this documentary that is also shortlisted uh, at this year's Oscars. It's the Billie Eilish talk called The World's a uh, Little Blurry. Not nominated though, but anyways, one of the segments there was about her recording the No Time to Die song. So that's how long it's been. You literally have a documentary that has the making of the shortlisted, uh, the shortlisted documentary alongside the song itself. Down to Joy is probably my second choice. I would have to go with it, No Time to Die. I've watched all of the Bond films prior to watching No Time to Die, and I'm not really big on action films or spy films, even though I watch a handful of them. I mean, I can barely tell the difference between the earlier Bond films, but uh, one thing I use to distinguish one Bond film from another is the accompanying song that each Bond film has, and I would say No Time to Die belongs to the god tier for me. Granted, I'm a Gen Z and I have listened to every Billie Eilish song out there, so I'm a bit biased on that one. Okay. Uh, do you think the fact that it's been two years and the momentum has died down when, you know, Encanto is kind of like taking the limelight with we don't talk about Bruno and anything and everything, um, do you think that like realistically has a shot to, over- to to steal away from No Time to Die or is that more paranoia on my part than anything else? Well, I don't think the momentum for the No Time to Die song has been dying. If anything, it's picking up all these precursors awards so um, maybe i mean i could see there's a lot of support for uh encanto too so if there was a if i were to choose my second place it would be yeah encanto actually no the beyonce song for king richard but then uh encanto number three 
Now, moving then, we have best visual effects. Um, and currently, these are all the big bang, bang, bang uh, type films, superhero films usually. Um, first place from Gold Derby is Dune. That won the Video Effects Society Award, the BAFTA, and to the Critics' Choice. Uh, second place is everyone's favorite Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. Uh, third place is Sang Si, Lens of the Ten Wings. Fourth place is No Time to Die. And fifth place is Free Guy. Um, fairly straightforward. I'm predicting you know, of these, the most prestigious film um, that the Academy is like okay nominating uh, or, or letting win, I think is Dune, and that's my preferred as well. Um, I think that like, the the visual effects uh, on the ones I have seen, No Way Home, Sang Chi, and Free Guy were okay. It wasn't really like groundbreaking, but I think like just like the pure photorealism of Arrakis and the do and the worms and everything in Dune was just definitely miles ahead of everything else. I think definitely a well-deserved win for Dune that's going to get um, not just one, this will be the second win it gets. Um, anyway, what do you think, James? I think there's no way a Marvel film is winning here. Superhero films, they just don't do well in this category, even though most, if not all of them, do get nominated here. So you can count out both Spider-Man and Shang-Chi. Free Guy is kind of a superhero movie too. It's just that at the end of the day with these films, green screens still look like green screens and uh, the CG characters still fall flat on screen. I think what this sub subgenre is missing is the realism and the good balance between practical and CGI effects. To that point, I think No Time to Die strikes the perfect balance between practical and CGI of all the nominees here. But then again, Bond films also do not have a good track record in this category. The last time a Bond film was nominated for VFX was back when uh, Roger Moore is still doing it in Moonraker, which is shocking to me. So I think it comes down to Dune, and not only does it have the best use of visual effects in general, but uh, I think it's the only choice, I think, for this category, and it's winning almost you know, everything at this point. So by default, Dune is both my preferred and prediction to win. All right, uh, moving on to the special feature category. So uh, this, I think, might be one of your favorites. Uh, best international feature. Um, we have Drive My Car, I think, as the runaway favorite here, um, or driveaway favorite. Um, it won the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice for Best International Film. Um, in second place, we have uh, Worst Person in the World. Third place, we have Flea. Fourth place, Hand of God. And fifth place, Lunana. Um, so I haven't seen Drive My Car, so I'm not going to give my preferred here. But based on the momentum, again, I think think drive my car is probably going to be the one to take it away here um, what do you think james can i just say that what a great year for international cinema it's been it's yeah it's my first time attempting to do the international film race and i couldn't have started out with a better year uh four of the films in my top 10 are actually uh films that were submitted for best international fe feature so quick shout out to uh, memoria from colombia great freedom from austria worst person from Norway and Deserto Particular from uh, Brazil. And there's another non-English film in my top 10, but it wasn't considered in consideration for this category. And this is uh, Celine Siama's Petite Maman from France. Anyways, going back to the nominees, I think the clear choice here as well is definitely Drive My Car. I remember watching the first award show of the season, The Gotham's, and it won Best International Film there. And then after that, it kept on sweeping almost everything, even the biggest critic circle or association groups where it wasn't only recognized as the best foreign language film or whatever the equivalent is, but also for a best picture. So very early on, you could tell that this was going to be big. And also in Oscars history, there are eight films uh, that were nominated for both best picture and best foreign language film, and only one of them lost 
the best foreign language film category, but there's a reason for that. Uh, Sweden's The Emigrants from 1971 was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film first, and it didn't get nominated for Best Picture until the next year, because only then did it have a qualifying release date in the U.S. But other than that, this feat of having uh, of being nominated for both the honors is still a strong indication that it's at least guaranteed to win uh, international film. So Drive My Car is my prediction, and. Uh, as for my personal pick, I was initially going to pick either Drive My Car or Worst Person. But you know what? I'm going to pick Lunana. Yeah, why Lunana? I was going to ask. Well, it's not in the same level as the other nominees, but I really liked it. It has some of the most incredible shots I've seen all year. And of those international film submissions that I've watched, it's definitely one that stands out. It's a simple and familiar story, sure, but... It's really effective at what it does, and it's a very, very heartwarming story. And now, often do you get a Bhutanese film for the Oscars? I would love I for mean, an underdog. The first one, me. right? Yeah, first one. Yeah, I mean, I heard that like they filmed it on solar-powered cameras uh, in that village, like you know, all like those many days trek away from like the main city. So, um, yeah, I mean, props. I just like the, the sheer act of filmmaking. I think that had to go into that one. Though you say this is like a film we've seen before, it's just very heartwarming. Maybe not on the level of other films. That's the same argument people are making for Coda to win. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I think I'm more warm on uh, Lenana. Dan Coda only because uh, I want I want the Oscars to award every country that submits a film for the Oscars. So I guess that's sort of where I'm coming from when I say that Lunana should be the winner for this category. Mm, yeah. Fair, 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 fair enough. Um, when do you think the Philippines will get a nomination for the for best international feature next year? Best picture, best picture, and best foreign language film or international film goes to the Philippines. For sure, for sure. Um, all right, so then we move to best uh, uh, animated feature film, um, aka the the Mouseo. Um, in first place, according to Gold Derby, is Encanto, which won the BAFTA and the PGA award. Um, in second place, we have Flea. Um, in third place, we have Missiles versus the Machines, which actually won the Annie Awards as well as the Critics Choice Awards. Um, and then Luca and Ryan the Last Dragon round out number four and number five. So. I think the momentum is here for Encanto again. With we don't talk about Bruno actually being at the Academy again uh, at the Oscars broadcast, which again is a choice. Um, but uh, yeah, so Encanto I think is probably going to end up winning um, the award. But I have a different uh, preference pick. But first, just a second with you. What, what are you for? Who do you think is going to win? Uh, it's going to be it's going to be Encanto for this one. For the past fourteen years, Disney only lost twice in this category, and I don't think. This year will be any different, considering how, considering they have three films here, which is kind of disappointing. And I think you also talked about this in your previous episode as well. But you talked about how the kids of the uh, Academy voters factor in in their decision to uh, vote for this category. Yeah, basically, I mean, it, it's an unfortunate reality that like a lot of the Academy voters don't take animated features seriously at all. And so those kind of go like, oh, this is what my kid likes, basically. So I'll vote for it, basically. Um, which, given how ubiquitous uh, Encanto is in this in this moment, um, yeah, I think Encanto is going to end up taking this, this one, I think. Yeah, if it has any competition, it would be Mitchells versus the Machines, only because of the surprise win in uh, the Annie Awards and the Critics' Choice Awards. But then again, it could just be like a Clouds versus Toy Story for a situation where uh, the latter is still pulled through at the end of the day. But for now, I'm going to go with Encanto. 
Okay, and then so what would you prefer to win in this scenario? Flea. I think Flea should be nominated for Best Picture as well. I'm glad that it won uh, all... I got nominated for all three awards that it is uh, eligible for other than Best Picture, of course. Uh, animated, Documentary, Best Foreign Language Film. And I, I'm not sure if it's going to win any of those three, sadly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think Flea's a good film. I think there are... I, I do have my own personal qualms with it. I think in terms... At least in terms of the competition... Um, I think specifically for animated, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast. For me, as an animation nerd, like I really big into anime and so on, right? And in American and Western animation as well, I just don't feel it does enough to push the medium of animation forward, which I think is my biggest qualm. Like I think I mentioned, I said like I think Flea is the best of these films. It just happens to be animated, whereas I think the other films make the most use and push the medium of animation forward, basically. Um, so I think that's like my take on Flea as an animation film. I don't know. I I, I don't know. If that's too harsh on it. Um, but I think my my personal choice is Missiles versus the Machine. I mean, I think the team the team over at Sony Animation has a really good thing going on between this and Spider-Verse. Um, so, you know, I'm really, I, I, I just love like the energy and the vibrance. And yeah, again, kind of like with Lunana, kind of like with Coda, the story isn't one, it's one we've definitely heard before. I think I compared it to a Goofy movie uh, from Disney, you know, from a couple of decades ago, uh, which happens to be one of my favorite movies of all time. But um, I mean, Mitchell versus the Machines is, is it's just like such a heartwarming, fun story, basically that, you know, I think all on, on a technical level, I think is really well executed. So that's my pick. But I think uh, you're right. It's probably going to be a scenario where the animation industry appreciates Mitchells, but I think the broader academy is going to go for Encanto. I think that's also a fair assessment on uh, the weak animation in Flea. Of all the nominated films here, Flea is the one that I think presents the least innovative animation. I mean, Lord, the Lord and Miller project, Mitchells versus the Machines, you know what you're getting into when you watch that. And uh, Encanto, watching it is like uh, seeing colors for the first time, the way they animated the dragon in Raya 2 is just amazing. And even though uh, Luca is very referential to Miyazaki's work, I think it's unlike any other Disney film you've seen before. Yeah, that's not to say that Flea isn't uh, beautifully animated. It's just that it's not intended to push the boundaries in animation because the focus of the film is, I think, predominantly on a, mean, a means narrative. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, which comes, I think, into play in the last category it's nominated for, which is Best Documentary Feature. So, you know, the, the nominees here are uh, in first place, according to the Gold Derby, Summer of Soul or When the Television or the Revolution Could Not Be Televised by Questlove. Um, this won the Critics' Choice and the PGA Award for Best Documentary. Um, in second place is your favorite, Flea, um, which won uh, the uh, International Documentary Association Award as well as the Cinema Eye Honors, which both honor documentaries. Um, and then Ascension is in third place place uh talk film about china's uh ascension so to speak uh of a uh, 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 social social structure right now um attica um about the attica prison riots um and then writing with fire which i finally was able to watch get a copy of this weekend uh thanks to you james actually um so yeah i mean uh i think uh the prediction here is it's going to be between flea and summer of soul i suspect summer of soul probably takes the win here um just go i mean Questlove was the dj for the oscars last year right um but yeah, what, what do you think? Who's going to win this one? Uh, so we had a community ballot last year at the ODR where uh, we tried to predict all the winners in each category. And then the one category that prevented me from 
being in the joint first place was best documentary feature. I knew that uh, my octopus teacher swept everything at that point and was in favor to win, but I took a risk and went with my instinct despite uh, the odds and predicted Crip Camp, which I thought was the better documentary film. And yeah, it backfired. I'm not going to make the same mistake again this year, so I'm going to go ahead and predict Summer of Soul. I don't even know what award it missed this season. I think the only one I could think of was uh, the director's guild one for documentary, which went to Attica. But still, if all goes well, it's going to follow the same pattern as Octopus Teacher last year. And as you can tell, my preference would have to be Flea. It's by far the better documentary for me personally, and maybe one of my all-time favorite documentaries, I would say. And it's the only film this season in which, uh, in this category, which appeared in my top five documentaries. Yeah, I think maybe the issue with Flea's chances are, I think it's it's kind of working against itself in that because it's across three categories, maybe the people who want to reward it kind of are split among the three categories, which I think might be hurting its chances. What do you think about that assessment? Yeah, I think two years ago, uh, there was a history-making nomination for Honeyland. Uh, they were nominated for Best uh, Documentary Feature and Best International Film. And then the year after that, it was Collective, which was also nominated for both categories. And it, none of them won in either of the categories that it was nominated for. So I think, I mean, the prospect of canceling each other out, um, if you think that maybe it's safer to vote for a Flea for Best Animated Feature Film and then vote for Summer of Soul, uh, in Best Documentary Feature, I think a lot of the Academy members might be doing that uh, just to spread love. But yeah, it, overall, I think it does hurt its chances when you think about it. Uh, finally, last one. We're coming up on an hour and a half here. So we'll breeze through these last three categories, which thankfully are all the sorts. Um, I have not seen any of the documentary, documentary sorts. I'm going to be relying on you for that one. But um, we'll just go through them all real quickly. We have Best Animated Sort. First place, Robin Robin. Second place, Windshield Wiper. Third place, Bestia, which won the Annie Awards. Fourth place, Affairs of the Art. And fifth place, uh, Box Ballet. Um, again, I haven't been able to do an episode yet recording about all of these yet but you will probably hear that before this episode comes out uh, my prediction i think robin robin takes it away ardman is, is is you know amazing with those top most and stuff and that's frankly my preferred pick of these as well this is a very weird year for animated sort for me um anyway what do you think james uh, i would also say that robin robin has the best chance of all the shorts that netflix submitted this year i think this one has the best best chance but uh, for my preference, I'm going to take a big swing and pick Bestia. It's funny, when I first watched this, I didn't really think about it that much. I thought it had some cool stop-motion animation, but that's about it. But then people in our community started pointing out that there, there was this title card at the end of the short film, which can give you a slight context about the real person who this short is based on, which caught me by surprise because when I watched it, it didn't have that. I don't know why they removed it. And when I rewatched it, my god... You won't look at the short the same way you did the first time. It starts out with this eerie music and it, it maintains that vibe all throughout. It's really one of the most scariest films that you will ever see, at least for me. And it's a freaking animated short film. <laughs> Anyways, I wish I wish that more animated films were as daring as this one. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate Again, it's also stop motion like Robin Robin. I can appreciate the technical components on this one. Um, I think though, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. It just felt very 
a little bit much emotionally, I think, for me to to really get. Which maybe it's a sign that it's a good film more than anything else. Um, I think my second choice behind Robin Robin probably would have been Box Ballet, but I think my ranking can also go in order of how depressing was this film from least depressing to most depressing. <laughs> Um, and then next up, documentary sort. I haven't seen any of these, so I'm going to rely on you here. Um, Gold Derby currently has Queen of Basketball as the current first place. Uh, Three Songs for Benazir as number two, which won the Cinema Eye Honors Award for Best Documentary Sort. Um, Audible is number three. When We Were Bullies is number four. And Lead Me Home is number five. Earlier this year, before nominations were announced, we made a poll. Uh, for our community to predict which films are going to get nominated across all categories. And for this one, the only one that I got right was Queen of Basketball, which is such a, sh- such a shame because I feel like the best ones on the shortlist are the ones that weren't nominated. I don't usually include uh, short films in my top films of the year, but if I do, uh, two shortlisted documentary shorts could have easily made it. So quick shout out to Coded, The, Se- the Hidden Life of J.C. Liondecker, and A Takeover, which was screened at the AODR Film Festival. So go check out the Q&A that we have with uh, Emma, the director of this film. Anyways, going back to my pick, because this is the only one that I got right in your poll, The Queen of Basketball would be my preferred choice to win and the one that I think will win this category. Uh, when I watched this short the second time, it was from a screening and there was a Q&A afterwards. Both the director and producer were there. And uh, the day before the virtual event took place, it was reported that Lucy Harris, the subject matter of the short, sadly passed away so the screen was kind of you know in her honor and i think this short became more relevant than ever i love that it's reigniting the interest for her and also if we recall last season there was a nominated documentary short called a concerto is a conversation and it was from the same director as this one you can kind of point out that there are similar styles and approaches between these two shorts but i think queen of basketball is definitely an improvement compared to Concerto, which I didn't really like that much. Okay, okay, fair enough. I'll hopefully get to them sometime this week to finish out my death race. Um, finally, last category, well, last real category, there's still the Oscar fan favorite and Oscar cheer moment, which we're not going to talk about here. Um, but uh, we have, have the best live action sort, which I caught all of these at the IFC um, sorts program. Um, so currently in first place is The Long Goodbye, which is um, a, fill, a sort from by Riz Ahmed for, his, uh, for the same um, alp- musical project he's been working on. Um, and number two is Alakachu, um, Take and Run, which is about uh, the practice of bride kidnapping in Kyrgyzstan. Um, three is The Dress, which is a student project from, Nor- from I believe, Norway or Denmark. Um, and then fourth place is Please Hold, um, a sci-fi film about the uh, the prison system. And then fifth place is On My Mind, uh, which um, I believe is a da- Danish film about a guy and, and uh, wanting to sing a karaoke song, which I think all Filipinos can appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my prediction here, I think given that I feel like the Academy likes to award Award. I don't know. I feel like it's actually fairly close between two here. I can't really decide which one. Right now, I'm just going to go ahead and say the long goodbye, just because after last year with Riz Ahmed kind of doing really well with Sound of Metal, I think his project here um, might be, I think, uh, of, of interest. Um you know, and, and kind of like the most high profile of these that people will pay attention to. That said, I see that the sort films to some degree are a reflection and the documentaries as well, but the, the, in general, these, these films tend to reflect what's the most pressing social political issue of the time, right? And I 
think that police holds take on the prison system, you know, might be as important, I think, or might be as relevant, especially given last year's Two Distant Strangers, that one, you know, that kind of sci-fi film as a commentary on you know, police brutality. I think this one as a commentary on the prison system and the privatization of the prison system, I think is another, um, I think would be in, received in a similar vein, so to speak. So I think it'd be one of those two personally. Um, what do you think, James? I'm seeing that most experts on gold derby are also predicting the long goodbye. And I think one of the primary arguments that people are saying about this is that Riz Ahmed is in it. But I don't, I'm not sure if I'm still buying the prospect that uh, just because you have an A-lister on your short film that it guarantees you for a win in this category. And frankly, I don't think that it's the best one here either. Uh, the letter room with Oscar Isaac didn't win last year, even though a lot of people were saying it will. And also we have a lot of uh, short films in the shortlist that have celebrities attached to them. We have Neil Patrick Harris narrating Coded, uh, Uzo Aduba is attached to Freemas, and Courtney Cox is the producer of Sophie and the Baron with uh, Disney backing it, and then none of them were nominated. So while it does help somehow, I think in campaigning, I suppose, I don't think that it's a guarantee for a win. I don't even think that The Long Goodbye was even long listed for the BAFTAs despite being a British film, but I'm not sure if they submitted it there. That said, I think it's going to be a la couture. I can't imagine anyone being not furious after seeing this film. It has a timely message to tell, as you've pointed out. And actually, all of the shorts in this category are very politically driven. Maybe On My Mind is an exception. But I think a la couture is, I feel, is the most effective one of all the films here. It would be my personal pick with the dress as a close number two. Okay. Um, yeah, I think this is the hardest category by far to predict. I mean, the sword categories are always hard, and even more so, I don't think there are any precursor awards for live action sword that I'm aware of. Yeah, and usually the winners of, if you search the IMDb pages of some of the previous short film winners, it usually only has, at least most of them only have uh, maybe one or two awards, sometimes even none. So I, yeah, it's definitely hard to uh, predict compared to the feature categories. All right. Well, that is all 23-ish categories uh, in about an hour and a half. Um, we a, a couple things to wrap up, though. Um, so, you know, we're going through, we went through uh, kind of like who we predicted. Um, this may have changed a little bit since, uh, since I might have changed my mind in the middle of, of recording this. But according to the Gold Derby, um, the film that will get the most nom- wins over the night is Dune with six total. Uh, power. They're predicting Power of the Dog to get three wins, including Best Picture and Adapted Screenplay. And then they are predicting Eyes of Tammy Faye to get two wins actress and hair and makeup um and then the rest of the films that win will each have one king richard west side story coda licorice pizza cruella no time to die Encanto, summer of soul and drive my car as well as the various sword films and then you know best and then the uh, the other feature films that are going to be kind of ignored that were kind of high profile this year uh like at none would be belfast don't look up nightmare alley lost daughter being the ricardo spencer parallel mothers tick tick boom tragedy macbeth worst person and flea among all the other films kind of nominated for one off categories um i think you and i are more or less the same in terms of breakout we might have a couple of different you know single winners but you know we both have dune uh winning five or six wins overall we both have power of the dog getting two wins and then i think we both now have 
uh, Coda uh, getting two wins at least as well. Um, so, you know, looking back over the years, right, last year's Oscars had seven films uh, getting more than one award, um, you know, with only Nomadland getting three, all of the others getting two. Um, compared to that, you know, this year, you know, again, looks like it's going to be at most three films, um, you know, getting uh, multiple awards this year. Um, Dune and Power to Dog for Sir, and then maybe Eyes of Tammy Faye or Coda, depending on how things go. Um, and, you know, Dune especially is, is, you know, getting six compared to Nomadland's three last year. Um, so that seems pretty weird. And, you know, going back, um, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, what, what, so first off, what do you think of the fact that this year's Oscar seems to be a little bit more spread out with more films getting one and only a couple getting multiple? I kind of, Kind of like how the awards were evenly distributed last year. We don't always get those. And it's always boring when one or two films end up taking uh, the most awards at the end of the night. Yeah, but every once in a while, an acclaimed genre film comes up, which takes most, if not all, of the tech categories and pair that up with a prestige drama or an Academy favorite is on track to occupy most of the above-the-line categories. For this year, it's Dune and Power of the Dog. So yeah, if you compare it to previous years the prospect of having only three films win more award i think is very low yeah and then you know going again like you mentioned like dune is forecast to get six awards which the last time a film got six awards was la la land right um and the year before mad max fury road got six um you know so you know again it's very it's very like I think it's, it's very centralizing, I think, for these like this genre film. You think that's like a, a, an, a, a, an outlier here? Or is that just, you know, the fact that it's a genre film that's really well received? It, it ends up just doing well in the technical categories. Yeah, well, similar to Mad Max, I think this film is made to win uh, the tech categories. You can't, you can't adapt Dune and not have the best sound designers, sound editors, or the visual effects people working on it. It's just, it's made to win these awards. Yeah. Do you think Dune 2 in a couple of years will pull a uh, Return of the Kings and win like, you know, 11 awards or something ridiculous like that? Even more so. And I think you just can't win for, um, you just can't win Best Picture with just half a story. And I think if it's going to win in that category, it would be the second one too. Okay. Okay. Um, the other really big thing I think this Oscar again, like you mentioned at the very beginning of this list, uh, Netflix versus Coda, right? Or specifically, Power of the Dog versus Coda. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny that Netflix has been spending so much money the last what four or five years on trying to get the best picture win, um, getting a lot of nominations, getting a lot of wins in other categories, but still eluding the best picture win. Uh, and then Apple TV on like it feels like it's their first, maybe their second try uh, at best picture um i don't know if there's any other series contenders in previous years but apple tv just kind of coming out of nowhere with coda i mean like what do you make of that whole scenario right there yeah, i think the only other film if i'm um if i'm remembering it correctly that uh, got an oscar nomination for apple tv plus is uh greyhound which got nominated for a sound last year if i'm not mistaken and yeah i think that it's just frustrating that these uh, streamers try to do everything they can to to win a best picture, and I'm glad that uh, that they're paying the bills for uh, someone like Jane Campion and Martin Scorsese. I think that's a great example too. Scorsese, uh, his film couldn't get made, uh, The Irishman. It's, it couldn't get made because everyone, every studio was denying him because of the expensive de aging. Uh, thing that they use for that film so they could only really go to these uh, streaming services and 
I think if a streaming service is, a streaming service is has the best chance to win uh, the Oscar for Best Picture, it would be this year because it's again it's the race is between Apple TV Plus and Netflix. Yeah, which you know, seeing as Martin Scorsese, he's going to Apple TV, I think, for his his upcoming film Killer of the Flower Moon or Moonflower or whatever it is. Yeah, Killer um, of the Flower Moon. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's another case, right? Where is Apple TV kind of footing the bill for that? So yeah, I don't know. I just kind of find it funny that Netflix is spending all this money and they keep getting blocked at the very last minute by another film. Um, maybe frustrating for them, but kind of from the outs. I'm not on the inside team for Netflix, so I can kind of kind of find some humor in that scenario. I think. Okay, so final question for the Oscar films, I think. Uh, what is your, you know, please, God, just this one time, right? One film not likely to win this year in the category that you really want to win in the category against all odds. Who do you want it to be? I said earlier that uh, only two Oscar-nominated films this year are seen in my top 10 of last year. Uh, those are Power of the Dog and the other one is Worst Person in the World. I think it's pretty much confirmed that Power of the Dog will at least win something. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, worst person, on the other hand, uh, I don't think it has a chance to win either of the categories it's nominated for. And I kind of want to uh, drive my car to win two for international features. So I'm going to choose original screenplay instead for worst person, even though it's a long shot. But if it wins, I'll be the happiest man in the world. <laughs> not the worst person in the world. Yeah, not the um, I, I, my one, my God, this one time, please let something good happen for Andrew Garfield for best actor. Please let something good happen to Andrew <laughs> Garfield for best actor. That's all I ask for this time around. I mean, I can live with Encanto winning best animated film over Mitchell's and the Machines, right? Um, but please let, 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 let Andrew Garfield beat Will Smith. That would make me so happy. Yeah, here in the Oscars death phrase, we bow down to our one and only King A. Garf. Right, right. Um, all right. So, you know, that's it for this race. Um, thank you so much for coming on, James. Uh, you know, what are some Oscar films you think this year that might be coming up that people you think to keep an eye on since you're the master, I think, of, again, of keeping a, you and Hector, right, are a master of keeping ahead of, of the race? I wouldn't say that. I, I, would, I mostly just into uh, kind of discovering the obscure short films, but in terms of the feature award, for the feature films, uh, I think that's a hard question because I never watch trailers. I like going in blind when I watch films, so I could really only base it off of uh, the people involved on the project or if I know the source material that it's adapting. That said, I'm looking forward to Matilda the Musical. Uh, this is an adaptation of the 2014 Broadway musical of the same name, which in turn was adapted from uh, a children's novel, which already had a film, but I enjoyed that musical. Also, everything, everywhere, all at once. The only thing that I know about this is that one of my favorite film critics said that this is one of the best films he's seen, and I trust his judgment. So I'm looking forward to that. I am. I am ready to see. I think it's coming out this coming weekend, like Oscars weekend, actually here in New York. So I really want to go see that if I can this weekend. Um, but of course, I have to finish my death phase first. So, um, and what about any other non-Oscar films you've been watching lately? Since you've been done with the death phase already, what have you been watching lately? I don't think I've mentioned a few already, but other than those, I would just like to recommend Come On, Come On by Mike Mills, Shape a Baby, Mass, and Passing. Uh, these are the films in my top 10 that I haven't mentioned yet earlier. Come On, Come On was my number one film of last year. And uh, oh, go watch Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. It was the Romanian submission for international film uh, this year, nominated for Best Kino Film at the Deathies. I'm running the campaign for for it in our community that has that has one of the most absurd endings that i've seen recently 
certified keto. Um, all right. Uh, finally, you know, again, thanks for coming on. Is there, you know, I'm assuming you have a letterbox or other social media. Um, where can people hear, you know, see your reviews, hear your thoughts on on these other films online uh, if you if you share them online? I belong to the 1% of Gen Zs who rarely use social media. We still exist. I guess I have a letterbox. I'm uh, a boy called James. No spaces. Yeah, that's it. I'm very unfun. All right, cool. Well, I will link that in the show notes. And of course, you know, you can find James uh, on top of the uh, OscarsDeathFace.com leaderboard, even though he says his friend Hector uh, should be above him. But, you know, congrats to you, Hector, but also congrats to you, James, for finishing the Death Race. And of course, you can catch him in the Oscars Death Race Academy of Death Race uh, Discord server as well. You know, definitely has a lot of thoughts, not only on Oscar film, but in the offseason, also on musicals, as he's alluded to multiple times uh, this year. So, you know, definitely, you know, glad to hear, you know, glad to hear that death racing is a worldwide pursuit you know all the way from here in new york all the way back to you know the philippines so you know this is definitely a worldwide endeavor and you know glad to have you glad to be racing along my fellow filipino james so thanks for coming on and thanks for racing with us james yeah and thank you very much for having me anytime just call me i'm happy to talk about these films all right sounds good and we'll catch you next race then yeah happy racing All right. Thanks again to James for hopping onto the podcast and talking his mind about the Oscars nominees. It was a pleasure for someone. Welcome to have him back whenever uh, whenever he wants to. Um, anyway, I'll link his loader box in the sonar so you can go ahead and follow him there if you're not already. Now, once again, a quick update on my race. Um, I had finally seen Coming to America, the sequel. Um, you know, and you know, this is the one that's nominated for best uh, hair and makeup. You know, sequel to the film uh, originally starring Eddie Murphy. Um, and you know, I, I, it's pretty much what I expected, right? It's a lot, perhaps too many uh, allusions to the original, retreading a lot of the similar thematic ground. Which, frankly, the more you think about it, kind of undid a lot of the progress of the characters at the end of the first film to some degree. Um, and very impressive plot setting here and makeup use for the comedic but even if the naming of their neighboring country of next doria isn't the most creative um back to the prosthetics though you know honestly as impressive as they were kind of disappointed right like we only got one new character i think you know the elder baba who played barsenio hall um in makeup and you know for the most part they just retread the same characters from the original film um and you know they just used it really just for com- comedic bits here and there they didn't, it wasn't like an integral part of the story um beyond just an avenue for you know arsenio hall and eddie murphy to you know um you know give tell some jokes which were basically the same jokes we heard for the first time around now i will say you know the final musical number is either the best or the worst thing this year uh no in between anyway overall give this a two out of five much like the original but yeah i'm starting to think i I think i'm going to stand by what i said in my conversation with james that tammy face should and probably will win uh this category in any case, once again, a reminder to join my winner's prediction contest for the Oscars. You only have a couple of days as of this episode airing out, so make sure you get your entries in by, once again, 12 noon on Sunday. Uh, and in the meantime, make sure you tune in uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday uh, to watch the live stream of the Academy of Death Racers Deathies Awards uh, produced by Friend of the Soul's Flight Astronomer. It's going to be a good one. You know, I'm doing uh, uh, one of the award presentations, and I also put together a couple of sketches, um, so you know, hopefully you get to catch those there. Um, Links to both my contest and to the Death Awards will be in the show notes. 
Uh, in any case, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, let me know how your Death Race is going. And again, you're cutting it very close at this point. Uh, over on Twitter, Oscars D Race Cast, or via email at Oscars Death Race Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Leave a review or just share it with a movie loving friend. Any of that's super helpful. If you want to directly financially contribute to the show, do so on Patreon. And also linked in there will be my Letterboxd account. Use the name Ninja Boy Boards and I. Also, be sure to check out the Oscar Race, Oscars Death Race subreddits, the Academy of Death Racers Discord, as well as the community website OscarsDeathRace.com, which we alluded to, and of course, AODR.net. Uh, music in this show is provided by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this week. Uh, this has been Paul of the Oscars Death Race uh, podcast, and for the last time this season, we will see you next week. Uh, in the meantime, I'll be here watching all of the Oscar nominees or die trying. 